This message was presented at the GYC 2011 conference. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. The first thing we're going to discuss is this nature of the Trinity in the Old Testament. We're going to look at some examples in the Old Testament about this Trinitarian formula. As, 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 as I mentioned in my introduction, we want to understand that the Holy Spirit is a member of the Trinity. And so in the Old Testament, we have examples. It may not be spelled out as in, as, as, it may not be spelled out as in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament also we see glimpses of the Holy Spirit working in the, in the, in the, in the Old Testament as well. So, first thing we see is that the, the word Elohim. If you open your, your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. The Bible says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And that word God is the word Elohim. And it is in plural form. But we are not polytheists. We believe God is one. But yet scripture tells us that in the, in, in the Godhead, there are multiple personalities. There are multiple beings. So we cannot say that God is only one when the Bible uses that God is actually Elohim. And it uses in a plural form. So we see here in Genesis that actually it says, in the beginning, God, our gods, as you would say, our gods created the heaven and the earth. The evidence suggests that in the, in the Godhead, there are more than one being. Amen? Amen. And we see also this in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6, verse 4, the, the famous Shema Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. The same thing is repeated, Elohim, in the plural form, showing this evidence that in the Godhead there are more than one beings. Now, it doesn't say there are three or four, but it just suggests there are more than one beings. The next thing we see is God expressed in the plural form again. For example, we see this in Genesis 1.26, when God says, if you still have your Bibles, Genesis 1.26, let's read it there. The Bible says, And God said, Let us make man in our image. Let us make man in our image. It is expressed in the plural form, let us, implying multiple beings. Let us, that word, in our image. If God was only one, he would say, let me make man in my own image. Is that clear? Amen. So, the Bible says, and God said, let us make man in our own image. Again, the evidence points to the plurality of beings in the Trinity. Plurality of beings in the Godhead, I should say. There it is repeated again in Genesis 3.22, in Genesis 11.7, and even in Isaiah 8, when God said, who shall go for us? Who shall we send? When Isaiah said, Here am I, send me, O Lord. Who shall go for us? So we see again this evidence of the multiplicity of beings in the Godhead. 
Next thing, next thing we see, we see the triple expre- expression of holy. Again, we see this in Isaiah chapter 6. You can turn there if you have your Bibles. Isaiah chapter 6. As we continue to see this evidence of the Trinity also in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 3. And the Bible says, And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole world is full of his glory. We see that expression again, holy, holy, holy. And here we start to see that evidence that perhaps in the, in the, in the Trinity, in the, in the Godhead, there are three different independent beings, but yet one. The evidence of the Trinity also in the Old Testament. Then we also come to the evidence of the Trinity in the New Testament. And this is where even the Trinity is more pronounced than in the Old Testament. And and here we see the disciples were to baptize, Jesus commanding the disciples, they were to baptize in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Again, we want to lay the ground, the foundation for the work of the Holy Spirit to ensure that the Holy Spirit is not a force or an energy, but actually that the Holy Spirit is a person and the Holy Spirit is God. Amen? More evidence in the New Testament. The entire Godhead was present at Christ's baptism. The Father speaks, the Son is baptized, and the Holy Spirit descends in the form of a dove. So we know that verse in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Another evidence of the Trinity in the New Testament in John 14 verse 16 says, And I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. I will pray to the Father, this is Jesus, and he will give you another helper, the Holy Spirit, that he may abide with you forever. Again, that expression of the Trinity again. Here is First John what he's, how John uh, says is, For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the world, and the Holy Spirit. And these are three in one. These are three in one. So we see this expression of the Trinity, both in the Old Testament and also in the New Testament. So we see in the, in, in the Godhead that there are multiple beings, three beings who are independent, but yet they are all one. Is that clear? Say amen if it's clear. Then I want to share with you the analogy, one analogy of the Holy Spirit, of the Trinity. If you ever come to a question to ask yourself, how does the Holy Spirit and the Son, Jesus Christ, and the Father coexist all together? You know, science tells us that light has three wavelengths. Light has three wavelengths. And these three wavelengths have three primary functions. Each is distinct from the other. Each ray has its own separate function. The first originates, which is the invisible light. The second one illuminates, which is seen and is felt. The third one is not seen, but it is felt as heat. In light, there are three wavelengths. And yet, without one, light cannot be light. Light cannot be light. Light exhibits these three wavelengths. And without one wavelength, light cannot be light. And so is the Trinity. Without the Holy Spirit, God cannot be God. 
without Jesus Christ being also God within the Trinity. The Trinity cannot be Trinity. God cannot be God. But yet they exist as one. Just as light exhibits these three wavelengths. Now, every analogy has its own failures, has its own shortcomings. I'm not saying that light truly exhibits the, the characteristics of the Trinity. But it's just analogy. It's just an analogy. So, none of them, they, these three wavelengths of light, none of them can exist without the dependence on the other. The first originates, the second one illuminates, and the third one consummates. Now we are looking at the necessity of the Trinity. Why do we need the Trinity? If God the Father existed as himself, who would have revealed God the Father? Could John the Baptist have revealed God the Father? Could Elijah have revealed God the Father in his full expression? No, I would like to suggest that no. It takes God to reveal God. I hope that makes sense. It takes God to reveal God. So Christ had to come, as Hebrews tells us, that Christ was the express image of God. Christ had to come to fully reveal who God is. And so when Christ left also, the Holy Spirit had to come to fully reveal who God the Father is and who the Holy Spirit, who God the Son is. It takes God to reveal God. That's why we need the Trinity. We need the Trinity because without the Trinity, we cannot know all the members of the Godhead. If God was only one, we cannot know God unless he had someone or something to reveal him. And no one else could reveal him except the Holy Spirit and Christ. It takes God to reveal God. Now we're going to discuss the person of the Holy Spirit. Did you know that the Holy Spirit appears more than about 88 times in the Old Testament? The person of the Holy Spirit. And in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit appears for more about more, more than 260 times. The Holy Spirit appears 262 times in the New Testament. Very interesting. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit appears about eight, eight times. But in the New Testament, appears 262 times. Why? Why this marked difference? We are going to look at why. As we continue to see, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Here we continue to study the person of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, turn with me to Acts chapter 5, verse 3 and 4. As we look at the story of Peter, Ananias, and his wife. Acts chapter 5, verse 3 and 4. The Bible says, But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the price of the land? Verse 4. While it remained, was it not thy own? And after it was sold, was it not thy own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thy heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. 
Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. Again, we can see that the Holy Spirit is a person because he cannot be lied to. The Holy Spirit is not a force, but a person. If he was a force, a force cannot be lied to, can be lied to. A force cannot understand logic. A force, cannot, a force has no understanding. Energy has no understanding. Only a person with a brain has understanding. And so we see these evidences in the Bible that the Holy Spirit exhibits the characteristics of a person. The Holy Spirit cannot be lied to. Here are more characteristics of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit leads the sons of God. We see this in Romans chapter 8. I don't know what just happened. As he works on this. The Bible continues to show that the Holy Spirit is a person. That he cannot be lied to. That he leads us as sons of God. It takes a person to lead another. He bears witness for us before the entire Trinity. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. One of my favorite verses. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 and verse 6. Sorry, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought to. But the Spirit is Himself. The New King, the King James uses it. But the actual translation should, should say himself. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be altered. And we see here the evidence that the Holy Spirit actually prays for you and die. The Holy Spirit prays for you and die. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought to. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us. So only the person, only another person can pray for you. In fact, I find confidence, I find help in this verse, knowing that the person of the Trinity prays for me. Amen? I find hope in this verse. Not only that, because we are told that the, the Christ also intercedes on our behalf as our high priest. So we can see the members of the Trinity all praying on our behalf, all interceding on our behalf, the Holy Spirit interceding on our behalf. As they continue to help us here. Next thing we see, we see also the Holy Spirit. Excuse me. Is it working?
That's technology, amen? Praise God that we cannot depend on technology, but we can depend on God. Amen? Amen. Turn with me to John 14. Oh, yeah, we are back. Sorry about that. So, we continue to see this person of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, but also in the larger uh, context of Scripture. That the Holy Spirit cannot be lied to. The Holy Spirit leads us as sons of God. The Holy Spirit also bears witness that we are children of God in Romans 8.16. And then Romans 8.26, we looked at the Holy Spirit also prays for you and I. All this are characteristics that show that the Holy Spirit is a person, not a force, not an energy, but the, the Holy Spirit is a person. That the Holy Spirit groans. Another characteristic of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit searches and knows the deep things of God. The abiding communion of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit abides with us. All these are characteristics that shows, are evidence that shows that the Holy Spirit is a person. There is, uh, uh, there is uh, popular movements there that project the Holy Spirit as a, a force that possesses you, or an energy that possesses you and transforms you into uh, some creature that has no sense. But the Bible portrays another character of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is gentle, that he's a person that prays, intercedes, and groans, that cannot be lied to. The Holy Spirit, the Bible gives a clearly a different picture of the Holy Spirit. That he should not be grieved. Only a person cannot be grieved. Only a person cannot be lied to. Only a person can intercede for one another. And here Jesus says, as he tells his disciples in that great promise, he promises them that he will send them another comfort, another helper. It is interesting, the Greek word that is used here to show another comfort, another helper, how the Bible portrays this. He will teach you all things. The Holy Spirit will teach us all things. He will testify of me. He will guide you. All I'm trying to show is that the Holy Spirit is a person. That the Holy Spirit is not an energy or force, but rather the Holy Spirit is a person. And here we see in John 16, particularly in the Gospel of John, John uses, while other Bible writers, most of other Bible writers, you, when they write about the Holy Spirit, they use a, a term that has, no, that has no gender, that is neutral in form. John uses a he, a person who has a, a masculine in gender, which is interesting. More than other gospel writers, John is very specific to define who is the Holy Spirit. 
the Holy Spirit is a person, and he uses, John uses a he, that he, he, he may abide with us, that he will glorify Christ, that he will guide us in all truth. So the Holy Spirit has the masculine form in Scripture. So the Holy Spirit is a person. That's the point of all that presentation, that the Holy Spirit is a person. The third section we want to look at is the deity of the Holy Spirit. As we looked at in Acts chapter 5, Peter said, you cannot lie to the Holy Spirit. You cannot lie because if you lie, you've lied to God, as he was telling Ananias. Clearly, the scripture, scripture shows us that the Holy Spirit is a person because he cannot be lied to, because he knows all things exhaustively. Amen? The Holy Spirit knows everything exhaustively. So the Holy Spirit is God. He's a member of the triune God. We already looked at these examples. We see the evidence of Trinity in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. That he knows all things exhaustively. That he's involved in divine activities. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. As we see this evidence of the Holy Spirit being God. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. The Bible says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Verse 2. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Verse Verse, verse 2, continue, continuing on. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. The Spirit of God. There we have the evidence of the Holy Spirit in creation. And if you need also the evidence of the Trinity, verse 3 says, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God said, God spoke, God spoke the word. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word. And so here again we see the evidence of the Trinity, but also we see the evidence of the Holy Spirit involved in creation. Amen? He's involved in, in, in divine activities, creation. He's involved in divine activities such as sanctification. We see also the Holy Spirit that he cannot be blasphemed, which is what Christ talked about. You cannot, you and I cannot blaspheme the Holy Spirit. We cannot reject the Holy Spirit to the point that the Holy Spirit cannot speak to our hearts. When we reach that point, when the Holy Spirit cannot speak to our hearts, we have blasphemed the Holy Spirit. We have blasphemed God himself. The Holy Spirit reveals God. It takes God to reveal God. We already covered that. Here is another interesting uh, characteristic of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is God. John 14 verse 16 says that the Holy Spirit was to come as another comforter. This is how Christ introduces him. If you have your Bibles, turn with me there. And it will be interesting to see how John portrays the Holy Spirit. John chapter 14 verse 16. And Jesus said, And I will pray to the Father, and he shall give you another Comfort, that he may abide with you. Another comfort, another counselor to teach us, to guide us. He shall give us another comfort. That word, another, is the word, in Greek word, is the word, aros, which means another of the same kind. Another of the same kind. If I had said that I'm going to send you 
another, and use that use word arrows, another of the same kind. That would mean I'm going to send you one like myself. If John was not implying that the Holy Spirit is God, is like Jesus Christ, he would have used another word which Paul uses in, in Galatians. This word is called heteros, which means another of different kind. When Paul was writing to the Galatians, telling them that they have accepted another gospel, which he did not preach to them, he used this word heteros, another of different kind. But when John is writing about the Holy Spirit, he says that Christ, was praying, Christ is praying that God will send another comfort, another of the same kind as Jesus Christ himself. Amen? Clearly showing that the Holy Spirit is a divine person. The Holy Spirit is a divine person. Now we want to turn to the next section, the work of the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be truly filled with the Holy Spirit? Some of the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is involved in revelation, inspiration, and illumination. This in, the entire Bible is written because of the work of the Holy Spirit. It is, isn't it interesting that only the Bible in the Old Testament speaks about the Holy Spirit 88 times, but you, when you consider the Holy Spirit inspired the production of the entire Bible. When I read about that, for me, it speaks about the humility of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit stamped the production of the entire Bible. But yet, the Holy Spirit is the least spoken about the person of the Holy Spirit, the, the person of the Trinity. He is the least spoken person of the, of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit inspired, revealed the things of God. So, we see the Holy Spirit that he is involved, he's involved in revelation, the means by which God reveals himself to the prophets. The Holy Spirit revealed God to the prophets. And as the prophets understood God, they started writing the pages of the Bible. So the Holy Spirit is involved in the production of the Bible. The Holy Spirit is also involved in the inspiration of the Bible. It is one, one thing to see something, but it is also something else to understand that particular you have seen. The Holy Spirit also inspired the prophets to understand what God had revealed to them. Amen? Not only is he involved in revelation, in revealing God, but the Holy Spirit is also involved in understanding all the things of God. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit is also involved in the illumination process. The means by which the believers, you and I, the prophets, have come to understand the things of God. Amen? So we see the work of the Holy Spirit is extensive. Amen? I'm glad the theme is about the Holy Spirit this year at GYC. Amen? I am glad the theme is about the Holy Spirit. The means by which illumination, the means by which we come to understand the things of God. The Bible, since the Bible has been revealed, since the Bible has been inspired, since the way we understand the Bible is by the help of the Holy Spirit, who is God, the Bible is not, nothing else but the Word of God. The Bible does not just contain the Word of God, but the Bible is the Word of God. There is 
a difference. That the Bible is the Word of God. It just doesn't contain the Word of God. Because if we say that the Bible just contains the Word of God, some sections might contain just the words of the prophet. Which sections actually contain the Word of God? So it is important to distinguish those two things. That the Bible is actually the Word of God. Not just contains, but it is the Word of God. Amen? The Holy Spirit is also involved in dwelling in us. Which is what Sean Reed asked us to present in the seminar. What does it mean for you and I to be filled with the Holy Spirit? I call this the sacred reality, the divine indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The divine indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Turn with me to John 14, verse 17. John 14, verse 17. John 14, verse 17. The Bible says, Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it sees him not, neither knows him, him, but ye know him, for he dwells in you and shall be in you. Notice the, the last verse, the last sentence. For he dwells with you and shall be in you. Notice the propositional change. Jesus says that the Holy Spirit shall be with you. That's the first part. The second part says the Holy Spirit shall be in you. There is a change. Not only is the Holy Spirit to be with us, but also the Holy Spirit shall be in us. The sacred reality. The Holy Spirit dwelling in us. The divine personality dwelling in us. The Holy Spirit shall dwell in us. So what does it mean when the Holy Spirit dwells in us? Not to be with us, but to dwell in us. A marked difference. You know, some of us are praying for the Holy Spirit, only for the Holy Spirit to be with us. But few are praying for the Holy Spirit to be in us. To be in us. Not to be just with us as we witness, as we work the work of God, but to be in us which is the subject of this session. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Not to be with the Holy Spirit, but to have the Holy Spirit dwell in my heart, in my life. The Bible says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit desires to dwell in your heart and my heart. But what does it take? What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? For the Holy Spirit to dwell in us. Here's some of the things it means when the Holy Spirit dwells in us. The Bible says that He teaches us all things. Can you see that? That He teaches us all things in John 14, 26. That when the Holy Spirit dwells in your heart and mine, in my heart, He teaches us all things. He guides us into all truth. That he brings all things to remembrance. This is again John 14:26. That he convicts us of sin. That he convicts us of righteousness. That he convicts us of judgment. All these, when the Holy Spirit dwells in my life. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? He guides me into all truth. He brings all things to remembrance. 
He convicts me of sin. He convicts me of my need of righteousness. He convicts me of judgment. He leads us into the submission to the law of God, as Paul says in Romans 8.24, 8, 8.47, But also, I want to share with you one more important thing that Paul says when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is it. I think I missed it here. There we go. That he gives us complete victory over sin. The Holy Spirit gives us complete victory over sin. Let's turn to Romans 8.13. Romans 8.13. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Romans 8.13 For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Through the Holy Spirit we overcome sin. Amen? Amen? You don't sound too excited about it. That when the Holy Spirit dwells in me, he gives me victory over sin. Amen? It's important that the Holy Spirit dwells in my life. Not only does he teach me all things, not only does he lead me into the submission to the law of God, but he also gives me victory over sin. And this is what, as Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. If anyone be risen with Christ, we set our eyes on things to come. Christ in us, the hope of glory. He guides us, the Holy Spirit dwelling in our life, he guides us in all true things of God. Through the Holy Spirit, we become sons and daughters of God. Through the Holy Spirit, we become co-sufferers with Christ. Through the Holy Spirit, we become partakers of divine nature. As Peter says, through the Holy Spirit, we possess the mind of Christ. Through the Holy Spirit, we possess the mind of Christ. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit then? It means all these things. It means all these things. All the divine reality dwelling in my life. To be filled with the Holy Spirit. Perhaps it speaks of our greatest need. To be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because if we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Not only shall we have victory over our struggles of our sin. But we shall also manifest what? The fruits of the Spirit. The gift of the Spirit. All the divine reality dwelling in our lives. The work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is the indwelling of Christ. It is the indwelling of the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit resides in our lives. When the Holy Spirit dwells in our lives. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit leads us into the likeness of Christ. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? It means to be like Christ. To be filled with the Holy Spirit means to be like Christ in all things. Here's what Ellen White says. The transformation of character is the testimony to the world of the indwelling of Christ. The transformation of a character is the testimony to the world of the indwelling of Christ. 
the Spirit of God produces a new life in the soul, bringing thoughts and desires into the obedience to the will of Christ. And the inward man, and the inward man is renewed in the image of God. When the Holy Spirit dwells in us, our characters are transformed, and that is actually the greatest witness, as Ellen White says. The greatest witness to the world we can give is a consistency in character. A consistent life is the greatest witness we can give to the world. And here we see that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit gives us the power actually not only to witness, but to be like Christ in every aspect of our lives. Here's what Ellen White also says in Review and Herod 1908. Sin could not be resisted and overcome. Sin could only be resisted and overcome only through the mighty agents of the third person of the Godhead. Only through the Holy Spirit can we overcome sin. Amen? That's good news for me. When I read this, this is good news. Here's what else she says. Christ has given his spirit as a divine power to overcome all hereditary and cultivated tendencies to evil and to impress his own character on his church. Only through the Holy Spirit can we truly overcome. But more than that, the Holy Spirit comes to glorify Christ. We have seen that the Holy, when the Holy Spirit dwells in my life, he transforms me into the likeness of Christ. Amen? So, what is the purpose? What is the chief purpose of the Holy Spirit? The chief purpose of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Christ. The chief purpose of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Christ in us and to be a witness to the entire world. Here's how John puts it, how Jesus prayed as he prayed in that famous prayer from John 14 to John 17. He says that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will glorify me because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The chief purpose of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Christ. Notice again the humility of the Holy Spirit. Not only did he inspire the production of the Bible, but also he comes to glorify Christ. And Christ came to glorify the Father. Each person of the Trinity glorifies the other, uplifts the other. So the question is, who glorifies the Holy Spirit? If Christ came to glorify the Father, and the Holy Spirit came to glorify the Son, who glorifies the Holy Spirit? Who glorifies the Holy Spirit? The church. Not by our own power, but through the work that God does in us. Amen? Not by our own power or effort, but through what God can do through us. So the Holy Spirit comes to glorify Christ in us, to transform us into the likeness of Christ. This is what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Notice we have not talked about going there and preaching like Peter and 3,000 people have been baptized. Amen to that. That's a result of being filled with the Holy Spirit. But the first and most important thing is to be transformed into the likeness of Christ. Amen? That's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Here is how Ellen White uh, talks about it. In these words, Christ declares the crowning work of the Holy Spirit. 
The Spirit glorifies Christ by making Him the object supreme regard, and the Savior becomes the delight, the rejoicing of the human agent in whose heart is wrought this transformation. In these words, He will glorify Christ. It is the crowning, crowning work of the Holy Spirit to glorify Christ. The chief work of the Holy Spirit, to glorify Christ in us, to transform us, that Christ may be known to the world. That Christ may be known to the world. Here's how she says it in Desire of Ages. The Savior came to glorify the Father by demonstration of his love. So the Spirit was to glorify Christ by revealing his grace to the world. So how does the Holy Spirit reveal his grace to the world? How does the Holy Spirit reveal His grace to the world? Through the transformation that takes place in our hearts. Through the transformation that takes place in our hearts. The greatest evidence for Christianity is a consistent life. That is the greatest evidence. Above what we can preach, above what we can write about, but a consistent life. The greatest evidence. The chief work of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Christ. Here are the conclusions now, as we come to the end of this session. What have we looked at so far? We have covered that the Holy Spirit is a member of the Trinity. He's a member of the Godhead. He's a person. He is God. We looked at in Genesis, just even the first few verses of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That embedded in the word God, Elohim, implies a multiple beings that dwell in the Godhead. But they are all one. The next verse talks about the Holy Spirit hovering over the earth. Before I continue on, I want to share with you some quick thing that is very interesting about the Holy Spirit. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 2 again. Chapter 1, sorry. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. Here is how the Bible says, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the the waters. Notice that the Holy Spirit hovered over this, this void, this almost darkness, that there was no form, no shape, but the Holy Spirit hovered over it. This is before creation. This is before, right before creation was done. Implication. No matter what your condition is, no matter what you're facing, no matter what your struggles are, no matter what is going on in your life, no matter what darkness you're facing, the Holy Spirit is hovering over. And when God speaks, when God speaks, He speaks order. He speaks creation. He speaks a new creation. He speaks a transformed life. And at the end he said, it is good. Like he said at the end of each day, after he created everything, he said, it is good. It is good. For if we are in Christ, we are new creatures. If the Holy Spirit hovers over us, if the Holy Spirit is in us, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit is within us, And then, no matter what we may be going through, no matter what sin we are struggling, no matter what our condition is, if the Holy Spirit is dwelling in us, at the end of the day, God will say, it is good. Just as he said, a creation. Now, turn with me to the book of Acts. 
the book of Acts, chapter 1, chapter 2. The book of Acts, chapter 2, from verse 1, the Bible says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Verse 2, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of rushing mighty wind, and it filled, that should be, he filled, but notice, it filled, because this is the Holy Spirit. And he filled all the house where they were sitting. Verse 3, And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat, he sat, upon each of them. Notice that when the Holy Spirit descended upon the disciples, he sat on each one of them. Do you, do you remember the image in Genesis 1? That the Holy Spirit hovered over this void, formless earth, formless universe. But when the Holy Spirit descended upon the disciples, he hovered over them as in creation. He transformed them. He gave them, he equipped them for the gospel. He transformed their lives. We are talking about how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That when the Holy Spirit dwells in our hearts, he hovers over us. He sits upon our hearts. He transforms us into the likeness of Christ. And in the end, God will say, it is good. Amen? What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? It is to be like Christ. The Holy Spirit is a member of the Trinity, as we are concluding. The Holy Spirit is a person. We looked at this. The Holy Spirit is God. We just saw that he was over, hovering over creation. And now we see that also in Acts, when he descended upon the apostles and the disciples, that he sat upon them, just as in creation story, and he transformed their lives. And when Peter stood up to preach, 3,000 people were baptized. Because what? The Holy Spirit dwelt in his heart. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? The chief work of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Christ. So in the end, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? It means to glorify Christ in us. It means to be like Christ. To be filled with the Holy Spirit, it means to be like Christ. It means to have the gift of salvation. We don't have time, but we will go into the study of how these texts like John 4.10 and Acts 8.20, Romans 6.23, they talk about the gift of God. The gift of God, for example, in Romans, about five times it talks about how the gift of salvation is free. The gift of God. But also in these other passages, it talks about the gift of the Holy Spirit. So it's interchangeable. You cannot have salvation without the Holy Spirit. To have the Holy Spirit, it means salvation. Amen? We cannot have one without the other. To be filled with the Holy Spirit, it means to have salvation. It is not a one-time salvation. Don't get me wrong. It is not a one-time salvation. Once saved, always saved. I'm not talking about. I was saved yesterday, I'm saved today, I'll be saved tomorrow. Amen? This constant dependence, this work of sanctification... To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be like Christ. But to be filled with the Holy Spirit also, it is to have salvation. It is to have this precious gift of salvation. Amen? Amen.
we'll come to, to, to questions in a few minutes. At this juncture, I would like us to, to break up into small groups of one, of twos and threes as we pray for this infilling of the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Not only does the Holy Spirit come into our lives, as John says, you know, as Jesus says in John 14, that He shall be with us, but also He shall be in us, and that He shall dwell in us, and He shall transform our characters, our lives, into the likeness of Christ. Most of all, that we shall have the gift of salvation. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources, visit us online at gycweb.org.